0: It's sports bizarre. I'm going to kick back and enjoy this. Some of these stories, you would say that cannot be true. The
1: hunt for the weirdest. Do we have roller coaster ride? This one isn't it? <laughs> it <laughs> makes Game of Thrones look like a sitcom. <laughs> Strangest. There you
0: go. He's on another level. What are you doing? A <laughs> lot of our stories are set with someone <laughs> <laughs> fleeing moneylenders.
1: Most unbelievable. This is a car crash. <laughs> stories to ever occur. I'll stop this right now. <laughs> it's just carnage. That is the densest bit of mayhem. So <laughs> many subplots in this story. In the world of
0: sport. I think we're learning that... Embarrassment is not something Sports Bazaar A naked fan ran onto the field and slid into second base No, I don't drink water I cannot stand drinking water (laughs) I am the president of everybody I am the president of the whole FIFA (laughs) Opened his mouth and a sparrow flew out
1: It's time for the leaders of the hunt It's really simple, get there early, get the good back (laughs) It's Titus O'Reilly and Mick Malloy. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Sports Bazaar With me Mick Malloy. And, of course, as always, doing all the heavy lifting, Titus O'Reilly. How are you, Titus? I'm
0: very well. I've lost my voice recently, so this is my comeback. Your Barry White
1: edition. (laughs) Yes. A little something for the ladies out there. Yeah, run my back, close your eyes. Dim the lights and enjoy the dulcet tones of Titus now. Where in the world are we going? Uh, What era? What sport? I think this will be a multi-part of this one.
0: Oh, good. And I can tell everyone listening It's going to be worth it because this is one of the wildest sports stories and it's about an American football league that was launched in the 80s Yes, called the United States Football League, the USFL. I have a vague memory of this. Yeah, and it is the league that was bought down by none other than Donald Trump. So... Paint the picture
1: for us. What was his involvement? Where do we start?
0: Well, he's going to come into this more and more as it comes along. <laughs> but today we're going to start of how this league started. Sure. And he is just one of the many crazy things that happens. This goes off the rails fast. It was doomed, wasn't it? People can know this. It ran from nine eighty three to nine eighty five. Yeah. But how it got up, how it was going to be a success, and then how it fails is it's a masterclass in how not to do things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Which we love. Yeah, this
0: is right in our wheelhouse. So the key guy to this, all starting, is a guy called David Dixon. Now, David is from New Orleans. He's born in nineteen twenty three. He'd gone to uni, he'd served in the Marine Corps in World War Two. Yep. He's a serious, serious guy. So he was the longtime owner of Dixon and Dixon, which is in the French quarter of New Orleans. Yes. That's the fun part, isn't it? That's the fun part. And he owned a well known fine arts, antique and jewelry shop. So that was his bread and butter. Made okay. good money, but also he's connected to a lot of the rich and powerful because he's selling fine art right. and antiques and stuff like that. And I know you love antiquing
1: more oh, than anyone. Uh, what's my favorite show? <laughs> antiques, <laughs> Roadshow? antiques Roadshow. Antiques
0: So he's doing that, but because he knows everyone, people come to him and ask him about things. and. He is asked by the mayor at the time, Delesseps Morrison, "We really want to build a f- lakefront stadium in New Orleans. This is in the '60s, so they don't, so have, they don't one. have a stadium, they yeah. don't have any teams." And he says, "I think we need to bring Major League Baseball to New Orleans to get to sure. get this stadium built." And Dixon says to him, "I think it'd be better if we go for professional football. I think NFL will be a better fit for this." Yeah. And so the mayor says, "Why don't you go and try and do that?" So he goes and starts to talk to the NFL. The NFL have zero interest in putting a team in New Orleans at the time.
1: So now How does it work, that system? Is it a new franchise yeah, or getting one from another state? Either moving
0: it? one or on. or an expansion team, right? But the NFL says no. What's happening at the time is another league called the American Football League is challenging the NFL at the time. Oh, and it gets to the point where the NFL realized if you can't, them because the AFL is doing very well. Yeah. We'll join them. We'll merge the two. So if you know anything about American football, a lot of the teams that are now in what's the American Football Conference, yeah. they're the old AFL teams. So wow. they decide to merge. And this is the way things work in America. There's the antitrust laws and the anti-monopoly laws. So when the NFL want to merge with the AFL, yes. it has to go through Congress Because Congress have to say, give them basically an indemnity against the monopoly and antitrust laws and say it's okay for you two to merge, right? Yeah. So they go to this and the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, he says to the NFL Commissioner, Pete Rozelle, I'm not letting you guys merge. I think it's bad for competition in sport. So Pete Rosell's trying to figure out how to get this bill through Congress and this merger through Congress. So he calls Dixon, David Dixon in New Orleans, (laughs) who's been bugging him about. Yes. Getting a team. And he basically says, is there anything you can do to help us get this through Congress? And they come up with a very sort of a thinly veiled quid pro quo, which is if we help you get it through Congress, this merger, you'll give us a team in New Orleans.
1: (laughs) And away we go.
0: So Dixon, he goes to a local Louisiana senator and says, if you can help us get around the Judiciary Committee in the Congress and get this merger through we'll get a team in New Orleans, right? right? So this Louisiana senator, he attaches the merger exemption to another bill entirely. What wow. <laughs> they do in, you know, in America, they just chuck it on they another bill. just clip bill. it onto a… Yeah, yeah, it's an infrastructure bill and they chuck on something for something completely different, right? <laughs> so they do that and that's how the New Orleans Saints start, right? right? They got through a bunch of agreed teams to get it through Congress the merger so the cincinnati bengals seattle seahawks tampa bay buccaneers all these teams are all created out of this yeah so they've merged and so this is shows you the power of dixon he's a smart guy who knows how to even though sure. he's a jeweler by trade he gets around these things he then comes up with because the new Orleans saints are going to start he becomes the head of what's going to become the superdome right that famous you know, know, Hurricane Katrina Hurricane and everything. Katrina that's notable, what but, you think about. So he becomes the head of that and gets that up as well. He then also founds in 1968 World Championship Tennis which is the one that becomes basically takes tennis to be professional and creates the open system and prize he money. He stuff
1: done, this bloke. So this
0: guy is a serious, serious guy and everything he's done, the New Orleans Saints, the Superdome and World Championship tennis. He's operating in New Orleans. But he's an innovator, right? He comes up with these ideas and he executes them and they are huge successes. And right. so he, he knows what he's doing and continues to until he runs into Donald Trump. <laughs> Who's
1: the exact opposite.
0: <laughs> While this is all happening, when he's trying to get the New Orleans Saints up originally and the NFL are saying no before he manages to help them out, he started to come up with this idea that for springtime football, because in America, American football is played in autumn and it runs for a very short period of time. So he started to think Americans love football and I don't think just playing it in autumn is worth it. I think we could run a spring league as well. He has this idea, bubbles around from 1961, but then he gets – waylaid with the New Orleans Saints and everything. But over the next 15 years, he's just slowly working in the back sure. of his head on this plan. Another league, the World Football League, starts in 1974 to challenge mm-hmm. the NFL, and it lasts one and a half season before collapsing. Yep. Dixon identifies that these teams were poor and were in small markets and didn't work. So he thinks there's, for there's a reason that failed. So in 1980, he does a study about running a spring football league, and he develops a thing called the Dixon Plan. Which is what the new league is going to be based on the yep. USFL. It calls for big TV market teams, NFL caliber stadiums, and a national TV broadcasting contract. Sure, he has identified cable television as started, so he's suddenly like this okay. ESPN. He's like this ESPN could be good. I think this could be big. <laughs> <laughs> so he's looking at He also thinks that you have 12 teams, this is his plan, and a very tight salary cap, which right. the NFL at this stage doesn't have a salary cap. Sure. So he's saying this will keep us from going broke. So he goes to, in 1980, he goes to an advertising agencies and says send this prospectus around to potential owners. And so he goes around America trying to find people who will buy a team right. in this new league and he says you need to post a 1.5 million dollar letter of credit for emergencies so he's like we're not going to go broke we're going to do this problem and he does he starts to find all these people so in october 1981 many of these new owners yes gather in the fairmont hotel in san francisco for a meeting to start organizing the league properly and they're still waiting for some owners to come in sure they're all sitting around the table waiting for the prospective owner of the new New York franchise t- to call in. Yes. The guy's not calling in. Then food arrives, so they eat the food and they're still waiting. It's like 12.30, meant to have called in, not 12.45, What's one o'clock. Like. On? They're going, where is this guy? About an hour goes by, they haven't heard from him, right? All the top owners sitting around at this new league. And then suddenly the, a voice comes on on the speakerphone, hello, hello, and it's this loud, brash voice, and he says, Hey, guys, how are you? Hello, hello, it's Donald. So it's Donald Trump, a 35-year-old New York real estate developer who no one has ever heard of.
1: Okay. This is pre, this is Donald. So they're not impressed that it's Donald Trump. They don't know who he is. No
0: no one knows who he is at this point, right? Apart from one or two articles about real estate, beyond that, no one outside of New York has heard of him. Most people in New York haven't heard of him. He's just 35. And Dixon says, Donald, we're all waiting for you. Where are you? And there's this long pause. And then over the, the voice over the speakers goes, right, well, i got to apologize. I'm not going to do a Trump impression, by yeah. the way. <laughs> right, well, i got to apologize. I'm not going to be able to make it. In fact, I can't be a member of your project. Things are just going unbelievably for me. I have this casino <laughs> project, and it's going to be big, really big. Very exciting. Lots of money in it. Okay, so anyway, sorry, bye, click. That's it. That's it. He hangs up. The owners all just stare at them, speaker <laughs> going.
1: Early signs of classic Trump <laughs> already
0: there. So Trump's out at he's this point. Out. He's out. So they all go. Well, we can't work without uh, New York. Like New York's a big market. Big piece we of the need puzzle, it.
1: the jewel in the crown. Yeah.
0: So he's just totally. He's meant to show up. Just doesn't show up. So despite this, the owners decide. Well, we're going to go ahead anyway. We're going to have a one point eight million dollar salary cap. Uh, we're going to have a thirty eight size roster. We're going to have some money set aside beyond the salary cap to sign star players. Sure. May 11th, 1982, they announce it. And the teams are the Arizona Wranglers, the Birmingham Stallions, the Boston Breakers, the Chicago Blitz, the Denver Gold, the Los Angeles Express, the Michigan Panthers, the New Jersey Generals, Oakland Invaders. Philadelphia Stars, Tampa Bay Bandits, and the Washington Federals.
1: And we're away. Who replaced New York?
0: New York becomes the New Jersey General. The and they're Jersey owned generals. by they get bought by an oil baron, which we'll get to. <laughs> and we should add this isn't the last of Trump.
1: Oh, of course it's not the last of Trump. How's his casino development? Is that is well, this he's his the, He's one? one of
0: the few people who's lost money on the casino. <laughs> <laughs> which is actually like. You know, uh, this is Atlanta. It's like owning here. the mint and going broke.
1: Yeah, you
0: know, we're out of money. So at this point, they're a bit of a joke to the NFL.
1: The sure. NFL not taking them seriously.
0: They don't take them seriously, and they actually kind of ignore. Don't never admit they exist, right? right? Because it's
1: how well established is the the NFL is yeah, very well it's, established. It's, well established so it's flying.
0: It's flying. Yeah. So one of the big early wins that the USFL has almost immediately is it signs a guy called Chet Simmons to be their first commissioner. Now from nine fifty-seven to sixty-four, he built up A B Sports to be the big leader in sports. He then went to NBC and for fifteen years he built that up. He pioneered things like instant replay, coverage of the Olympics, covering of the NCAA Final Four basketball. So all these things that are now huge. He was behind all that. A bit of
1: gravitas at the time. In
0: nineteen seventy nine, he left NBC to join and launch ESPN okay so this guy's the real deal right so he joined the usfl and everyone says that's a serious guy okay. that's not now you just, have our attention yeah he quickly signs a four-year contract with abc and a two-year contract with espn they're going to get 18 million dollars for the first two seasons and an option for 14 million for the nine eighty five season and then another 18 million for the 986. And then ESPN's going to get, give them $4 million for the first season and $7 yeah. million dollars after that. So they're off. So suddenly they're off. Yeah. They're a serious thing. So they suddenly realize we actually have a league. We better start finding some players. And this is where <laughs> the real fun starts. Okay. Yep. In August 982, the league's just been announced. No one's around. The Chicago Blitz, they're the most organized. So the rest of the league have still like, Finding general managers and coaches and stuff. They've got a coach and a manager and they're away and they decide to host free agent tryout camps across the country.
1: Can I just ask quickly is, is there still a team in Chicago in the proper league? Yeah, as there's well? the Chicago so they, Bears. So not, they haven't gone to towns where there isn't an existing team. They have one or two crossover. So some
0: are in places that don't have an NFL side and some are in got ones it. that do. I think they're in 12 of the top 13 right, TV so. markets. And they're very much like, we're not going to directly take on the NFL. That's the whole plan. Yes. So the NFL will be the big league in, in autumn. But, yeah. But we'll offer this alternate, still exciting, still good. In spring, right? Yeah. That's their oh. plan, right? Thinking, you know. So the Chicago Blitz hold these training sessions and they're absolute chaos. 518 people show up to the first one and they're just people who have either, some are people who played in the NFL but often finished yeah. up five years before yeah. or something. Young college players, people that just
1: think. Enthusiastic amateurs. Yeah, lots of enthusiastic
0: yeah. people who have never, no reason to it. One guy, and this shows you how chaotic it is, called Albert C. Lynch. He's a 24-year-old Chicago native. Never played football. He turns up. He's five foot eight. He's tiny in terms of he's got no weight. He ran a 5.7 in the 40 yards, which is like incredibly slow. Like yeah. you like and I, I could, could yeah, you and I could probably do it. <laughs> His vertical jump measured 23 inches, which was last amongst all the people who were at the thing. <laughs> and he was the only person who failed to break the three seconds in the 20 yard sprint. Right. So he's the slowest. Least athletic. Yeah. But he noticed that all the players who did do well were sent to the general manager. So after his terrible workout that had people laughing, he walked up to the general manager who just instantly handed him a contract and got him to sign it.
1: <laughs> well played.
0: <laughs> and so later that day, one of the guys says, the coach says, We signed Albert C. Lynch, that slow guy with the afro. <laughs> he goes, Yeah, you sent him over to me. He goes, I did not. And they discovered that he's just figured out their system he's and engaged. they just laugh. Another time they go to the Logan Correctional Center in Illinois to offer a tryout to an inmate who had written a letter to the team, so this is how desperate (laughs) they are. The guy wrote, I love football, I can play. He was a third of his way through a 12-year sentence for armed robbery, (laughs) but he worked out he could do a work release program if he got hired as a footballer. He fails to impress and doesn't got it, right? So that's one. The Boston Breakers, they say, well, we better run some camps. Sure. Sure. So they ran one. They get some weird guys that they actually do sign. One's a guy called Jeff Gaylord. He's a tackle and a former fourth round pick of the Los Angeles Rams. He was known when he attended university. He once went on a five month cocaine binge that he recalled fried my brain. (laughs) He agreed to once fill in for an absent male stripper at a nightclub where he worked as a (laughs) bouncer. He's working as a bouncer and the stripper yeah. doesn't trap. so they say, can you get up? He says, sure. He purchased a tin of green paint, coats his body head to toe and nicknamed himself the Incredible Hulk.
1: I signed him up. This is where he's stripped me. Send him to the manager. The, the first night he does it, he's arrested for indecent exposure. <laughs> did it get him angry? You don't get the Hulk angry. You don't angry. get the whole angry. Oh. Did he? I know he's covered in green paint, but did he have to whip off those purple torn shorts? <laughs> is that what he... Well,
0: he got done for indecent exposure, so I think yes. He also admits that he'd filled his body with every imaginable steroid on the market, including many knockoffs, so he would just put everything in his body. Sure. And he also served as a certified chiropractor. He'd arrive early at the stadium to crack his teammates' backs before games. That's one guy. <laughs> Another guy was a guy called Billy Don Jackson. Uh, he'd played at UCLA. He arrived at this tryout camp for the Boston Breakers Four months after wrapping up an eight-month stay in jail for manslaughter, he had allegedly killed a 28-year-old guy in an argument over marijuana. One of the journalists, David Cateno, who covered the breakers for the Boston Herald said, I remember being told that Billy Don beat the man to death with a tennis racket during a drug deal gone bad. The day I interviewed him, they set us up in a private room and I turn
1: around and notice a pile of tennis rackets stacked up (laughs) against the wall near his chair. I've got to say, I'm distracted now by the idea that someone's been beaten to death with a tennis racket. I know. Who often think baseball bat or a cricket bat in certain parts of the world yeah. or some kind of tennis racket. But a tennis, a tennis racket. racket. Wow.
0: So this is sort of the quality <laughs> of guys
1: you're getting. It's absolute chaos, right? Normally when you hit someone with a tennis racket, it goes down around their neck <laughs> <laughs> with all the strings <laughs> hanging off. You know that comical effect? Yeah, like it. The other thing the Boston Breakers do,
0: and this is – very much like the league, they've all got to find out ways to compete with the NFL and attract attention. Yes. To get attention, Dick Corey is the head coach of the Boston Breakers. He has this idea. In the week leading up to every home game, he invites fans to send in trick plays to the office and guarantees that the winner he will use the trick play in the game. In the game?
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: he says, no matter what, we'll we'll so do we'll it. We'll use it at yeah. some point during the... So run. they have the weird plays they play in the season. Like all the players line up on one side of the field with one guy on the other. And a few times like, like they line up in do, formations do you know, that are you know, illegal and
1: they get a penalty
0: straight away. Do
1: you know what the play is at the start of the game or do you only know it when you see it during the course of the... What would happen is everyone would send in these... Because, you know, NFL
0: is very scripted in its play. Yes. what play you're going to run. So they would get... People to send in, like, the most crazy plays they can think of. Yes. And then he would draw the winner. The winner would come and stand next to him on the sideline and get to call the play at Get some to call the play. And then they would run it, and often with, like, quite comical things because a few of them were just instantly illegal. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what they're doing, right? All right. Uh, while that's kind of funny, the Oakland invaders are even more of a hot mess.
1: What's happening there?
0: They're called the Oakland Invaders, which is a ripoff of the Oakland Raiders. Raiders, yes. And the Oakland Raiders had just moved to Los Angeles. So they were like, which they moved back and forth a few times. So they sort of purposely were trying to fill it. First thing they do, which is bewildering to many people, is they hire an equipment manager, which is a big job in American football, the pads, the helmets. They need a semi-trailer. Yeah, yeah. So they hire someone who's, (laughs) no one can figure out why. The owner hires someone who's blind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> dear, dear. so he says one of the guys who's the public relations director said he hired a, a guy called John Daggett he was legally blind couldn't see unless something was within two inches of his face <laughs> he says the first time we met was when the team sent me to pick him up at the airport I said why doesn't he just rent a car and they go because he can't see oh, Jesus <laughs> so this that, is hilarious so that doesn't work very well at all the Washington Federals oh, uh, they are the worst team in the league by a country yeah, sure. mile, both on and off. Right? Like a
1: of professionalism as opposed to yeah. all the other teams? Or? So
0: this is the time when cocaine is really taking off in America. Yeah. Sure. And most professional sporting teams by the early 80s are realizing the dangers of it and advising their players to stay away from yeah. it. Yeah. And they're also banning people who use it or at least being a bit strict sure. about it and stuff. The Washington Federals did not do any of this. <laughs> so... They signed anyone who could basically play. They didn't care if they had drug problems or whatever. So they just hire a heap of guys with drug problems basically, right? Like they don't do anything. Like doesn't. Yeah. We'll take anyone. Yeah. And this leads to all sorts of problems because they're the wildest bunch in the entire league. So yeah. in the days leading up to the season opener, their running back, Buddy Hardeman was arrested for attacking a police officer. <laughs> <laughs> their own quarterback, Mike Honnessy, says, we had a lot of hoodlums. We outdrank everyone. We outsnorted everyone. We outsmoked everyone. We probably had more women than any other team. We had lots of fun off the field, but we were miserable on it. <laughs> they had a guy called Doug Green, who's a safety out of Texas A and M. He'd played at the Cardinals and then at the Buffalo Bills in yep. the NFL, but so he hadn't played play. for a four years, for a few years though. When he was playing with the Cardinals, he befriended the former heavyweight champion of the world, Leon Spinks, who we mentioned in uh, – Recently. Recently. So they became good friends. When Green gets traded to Buffalo, the Buffalo Bills, Spinks says to him, do you know anyone in Buffalo? And Green says, no, never been even been there. I don't know anyone. And Spinks says to him, well, I'm going to hook you up with some friends. Don't worry.
1: So oh, goes, that's nice. Great.
0: That's nice. So he goes to his first practice with the Buffalo Bills in the 1979 season and he's working out. It's only this Excalibur, which is one of those huge American 70s cars, yeah. you know, pulls up and two men get out. One's a six-foot-nine six foot bodyguard who's literally holding a 29-millimeter pistol. The other was Rick James, the music oh, superstar. Oh,
1: good Lord, Is trouble.
0: So Rick James Rick comes Rick
1: out. Rick James, <laughs> I'd hook you up with some <laughs> yeah. friends of
0: So people don't know Rick James, like
1: a true superstar of Super Freak is his big Super Freak is the big song. He is known as being off the reservation. Yeah, he he is women, drugs, booze, everything. Famously played by Dave Chappelle in one of the great sketches of all time, the the Prince and Dave Chappelle (laughs) basketball sketch. (laughs) If you can Google that on YouTube. Um, but it's amazing. So, okay, well, this is. Yeah. You so, have my full
0: attention. So Rick James gets out of the car, he's got long dreadlocks, that crooked smile that he was known for, and he's got a black leather bodysuit, full black leather bodysuit on, right? The bodyguard walks over to Green and says, Rick wants to speak to you. <laughs> Green introduces him to James and James says, I know who you are. I promised Leon Spinks I'd take care of you. He then immediately hands Green an envelope containing $500 in cash and he says, check out of your hotel after practice and come live in my mansion because he lived in oh, Buffalo. Oh, wow. Green says it was the most buff, the baddest mansion ever. It had an indoor tennis court, indoor pool, and the women, old oh man, black, white, but mostly white and blonde. <laughs> he says they came and went nonstop. And so, before Long Green's just spending his whole time working as one of James's bodyguards when he's not playing football um, and says it's one of the best things, he says, I wasn't the best football player in the league, but I was the only one who could say he was Rick James's bodyguard. <laughs> So that's who, so he signs with the Washington Federals, slightly better than the Washington Generals. Yeah, yeah. That well, ac- they get referred to accidentally in the newspapers a few times as the <laughs> Washington Generals, who, if people don't know, are the ones that lose to the Harlem Globe Trotters every yeah. every night, pretty much. They're my team. Let me just finish telling you about some of the others as well before you decide, before I because, decide? because, I'm because pick one here. they get weirder as it goes along. <laughs>
1: oh, wow! And All there's right.
0: more teams to be added okay. that we haven't even got to yet. Another team, the Los Angeles Express, they weren't quite as bad, but they had some issues. So their owner was a cable television executive named Alan Harmon. He was owner and team president. Yes. And he'd often arrive at the office coked up after a night of drug use. (laughs) Behind his back, his employees nicknamed Arthur, after the character played by Dudley Moore, the alcoholic. (laughs) One of the staff members there, Paul Sandrock, said he'd come in either strung out or drunk or both and start swearing at the girls who work in the office. I'd have to send him
1: home. Oh, man, what a
0: time. Hugh Campbell, who's the coach of the Los Angeles Express, he gets a lot of plays who are sort of cast-offs from the college programs in, in L.A., so USC and UCLA. And they're all just trying to find okay players who can play to a level but they're so not to So probably the
1: NFL. sounds like college players who haven't been drafted to the NFL, NFL by about. Yeah, ve- and veterans go, well, who have
0: left the NFL, been discarded by the NFL yeah, at this I stage, can. right? And this so the NFL they aren't too worried. They're like, these are players that w- don't fit into the NFL yeah. system or have been discarded by it, right, at first. But the Los Angeles Express have a very weird roster of people, like right. very odd. So, for instance, linebacker John Bearfield used to arrive wearing a black cowboy hat and a nickel wedged into his right ear. His coach said he still has no idea why. <laughs> the starting nose guard was a guy out of Georgia named Eddie Weaver. His nickname was Meat Cleaver and he refused to wear a jock strap. <laughs> Once again, no one knew why. Yeah. There was a guy called Charles Fillior. He'd been a defensive end for the Raiders in the late 70s and had a knee injury that ended his career, but he decided to give it another go. Yes. He gained fame when he did play in Oakland for the Raiders for trapping his head in the sunroof of a car. That <laughs> 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 was his claim to fame. Oh, when the Express man. called him, he signed instantly without even, like, asking any details. He was 29 years old at this stage and had a. he played with a pronounced limp.
1: Played with a limp?
0: <laughs> he played with a limp. <laughs> Every practice and game, he would apply WD-40 motor oil to his legs. His coach said, I've seen many things in football, but never that. The Philadelphia Stars managed to get a coach called Jim Mora, who went on to be a good NFL coach later on in life, well known. One of the players said, our nickname for Jim Mora on the team was a dick. Why? Because he was a dick. <laughs> 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 the Tampa Bay Bandits, who are my favorite team, oh, okay. they actually were, like they had some interesting stuff. The reason is their owner, John Bassett, he'd owned a team in the WFL, the one that ran for a year and a half and yeah. collapsed, the Memphis Southmen. So he actually knew a fair bit about running a football team and what didn't work. He was yeah. the most cluey of all the owners. Now, he knew that he was in the entertainment business, not just the football business. Okay. He got that to compete with the NFL, you can't just we're be… We're putting on a show. We're putting on a show he enlisted Burt Reynolds <laughs> to serve as part owner. Now, Burt Reynolds
1: <laughs> was
0: at this point America's hottest actor, right? Absolutely. Like, this it's is smoking the band time. Smoking the band at time, the band time and, it, and a good-looking man. And, and, yeah. And, yeah, posing in Playboy, like going yeah. out with Laurie Anderson, all this, like he was, he was a it. big star. So Reynolds was given 5% of the team. didn't have to put any money in. But despite only having 5%, he went all out. Burt Reynolds loved it, right? So this is like getting, I don't know, like Leonardo DiCaprio or something. It's huge, right? So on August 4th, 1982, Bassett held a press conference to announce the franchise name, that they were going to be the Tampa Bay Bandits. And Reynolds arrived accompanied (laughs) with bottles of champagnes and a young woman on each arm. So he's straight away like the media does love it. During a game, he was brought onto the field via a stagecoach (laughs) <laughs> while, while female fans threw their bras in the air, Bert Reynolds said, I'll be around a lot involved and this was definitely true. His face was on the front of the 983 media guide for them. His girlfriend, Lonnie Anderson, would be on billboards with yeah. a midriff revealing top with a Bandits logo on it that said, Brilliant. all the fun the law allows. <laughs> Oh, Um, man. At the conclusion of the first season, Burt Reynolds gave every player a Western-style gold-dipped bandit's belt buckle and team jackets that had embroidered inside them with love, Burt Reynolds.
1: (laughs) Oh, now I want this to be my team. They're your team. Well, no, there's more more
0: of it. So with all this going on, the USFL is seen as like kind of interesting, but it's still a bit of a joke. Circus. It's, it's a circus. circus. Yeah, you got, our, you know, the, the teams are all over the shop. The players are weird and all this. The NFL's just kind of laughing. They call the USFL the useless, right. Right, right. right? right around the office. And publicly, they never talk about it. Their thing is just pretend it doesn't exist. Sure. They can do this until the 8th of February, 1983. And on this day, Herschel Walker, one of the great running backs of all time, but a man okay. who currently you would know he's running as a Republican candidate in America and and a big Donald Trump fan. Yeah, he's crazy. At the time, well before all these political things come out, is the number one prospect in college football. And he announces on the 8th of February that he is signing not with the NFL but with the New Jersey Generals. Wow. Which just to the NFL, this is the best player in the college coming through and he's not coming to them. And they suddenly go, that's, that's a wrong. serious yeah. problem for yeah. us. The reason he signs with the New Jersey Generals is, one, he hasn't finished college. He's an underclassman. He's got one year to go. Yes. The NFL won't take people until they have finished oh, college oh, at this oh, point. Right? The USFL decides to – they don't have a set rule on it at this stage. The reason people in America, they don't, is college football is so powerful and the yeah. NCAA that run it is if you start pulling them out before they finish college, the NCAA won't let you onto their grounds anymore to scout right. or do anything. So you're, you're out of the loop. But Herschel Walker just, he comes from a very poor family and he knows he could get injured any and he wants the money. Yeah. right. And his mum is very big on driving him to take the money. So he gets offered $1.2 million per year. This is in 1983. A $1 million signing bonus. And J. Walter Duncan, who has ended up owning the New Jersey Generals, is an oil baron. Gives him part ownership in an oil well to get him over the line, right? So this is a huge thing. Now, he is famous. He had run over 5,259 yards over three seasons, which is just insane. He also starred on the Georgia Bulldogs track and field team. Mm -hmm. He wrote poetry. One of them was, I wish they could see the real person in me, which is beautiful. Well, the simplicity of that (laughs) is quite powerful. (laughs) (laughs) So powerful. He refused to lift weights. (laughs) He was famous for his regime of never drinking, never smoking, and he'd do hundreds of sit-ups and push-ups every night before going to bed. He also said, apart from football, he wanted to join the United States Marine Corps, you know, serve your country. When asked why, he said, I wanted to kill people. (laughs) With a tennis racket? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so he signed on, and this is just like an atom bomb going off with the NFL.
1: They oh, are like, this is This is me.
0: Yeah, and it's the front cover of Sports Illustrated. So the media, it's grabbing. Suddenly, they're not a joke league anymore. They're an alternative for college football players right. and stars to go to. So the season kicks off on the uh, March six nine eighty three. The Chicago Blitz face off against your team, the Washington Federals, <laughs> and over thirty nine thousand fans come out despite its. Absolutely pouring with rain. Um, oh, okay,
1: that's a solid start. So, yeah,
0: it's a very solid start. The Federals lose 28 to 7 because we know the Federals were rubbish.
1: Uh, well, the Federals have got their um,
0: issues. The owner of the Federals, <laughs> Burl Bernhard, would later complain that the team played like untrained gerbils. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Maybe that was the game plan. That was the game
0: plan. That happens, but at the same time, over that point, they have forty-five thousand fans sorting out in Arizona and Denver. They have forty-two thousand in Tampa Bay, thirty-eight thousand in Washington. So there's big.
1: There's a level of interest in yeah. the
0: spring. The average for the first year is thirty-nine thousand people coming to games. The national TV ratings for all the games was had a national share of fourteen point two which means 33% of people watching TV at that time watched. That's a very solid start. Very solid start. And in fact, it finishes with better ratings than they'd predicted, right? So it's going very well. And does it finish as strong as it started? Does it
1: hold? It, it goes up
0: and down a bit, but overall, they have a very good year. They have also come up with a way to separate themselves from the NFL. So the NFL is the establishment, very serious. Yep. They ban things like touchdown celebrations. Crazy. So so the USFL starts to call them the No Fun League
1: <laughs>
0: and their slogan of the uh, USFL becomes when football was fun. So it was having a go. at oh, no. It's saying our players have personnel and have fun. They also say to their teams, go all out on promotion, marketing, run crazy schemes, like sending in the fake plays as one. Yeah. The Denver Gold offered a money-back guarantee for any attendees who weren't satisfied. During one Houston Gamblers game, boxer George Foreman officiated a wedding. <laughs> Tampa Bay Bandits games—they give away cars, you know. So they're doing all this. Sort and they of have all thing. the
1: accoutrements. They have like cheerleaders. Yeah, and everything. All and their
0: cheerleaders are wearing almost nothing because this is the eighties, right? Yeah, like yeah. it would be cancelled now, but they they sure. play up the sexy, fun nature of the league Reynolds as opposed to Pat Reynolds is involved. So. Brandon plays actually quite entertaining and exciting. Yeah. It's far more open and, mm. and offensive minded than the NFL. So people are actually going, Oh, this is fine. Like yeah. it's not as good as the NFL, but it's definitely yeah. entertaining. It's, it's entertainment. The championship game was a really good game. It was between the Michigan Panthers and the Philadelphia Stars, and the Panthers win 24 to 22. So very exciting. Yep. Being the USFL, something always goes a bit wrong when they have success. So the game drew a good rating, lots of people show up, but in the seconds before it's about to finish, all these people run onto the field, about 2,000. They start attacking the goalposts. Denver's police force go on under strict orders, no damage could be done to the field. So they start macing all the fans.
1: <laughs> was this pre-planned or was it just a- This
0: after, they released police dogs into the crowd. <laughs> So it absolutely goes nuts. Now, this will sound familiar to you. Some of the blame goes on the USFL for the crowd behavior because 19 minutes before kickoff, they had a Miller sponsored free beer handout.
1: <laughs> We're back to 10 Cent Beer Night.
0: So, they'd had a great first season, <laughs> but this is a bit of a, you know, a bit of a problem. Yeah. On the financial side, the first season While it was a success, they knew they were going to lose money and they lose about $40 million. But they actually go, we knew for the first two or three years. Sure, it's a new business. It's a new business. We're going to lose some money and then we're going to make it back. The Denver Gold and the Tampa Bay Bandits actually managed to escape financial losses. In fact, the Denver Gold made money. Yep. So some of them could see the green shoots are there that this league is going to be a success in the future but on November 1983 in a letter to the other owners Ted Tarb of the Oakland team he wrote to them all if we're not successful in establishing player salary caps I can guarantee you that there will not be a USFL within three years mm-hmm. irrespective of improved revenue from television we have cited the enemy and they are us so he's saying we are spending a bit too much money than yeah. we should Rain trying to it. compete against yeah. each other yeah. And this salary cap we need to take seriously because it's a bit of a gentleman agreement, the salary cap at this stage, right? You don't want an arms race. We're on the right track. The ratings are good. The way we're going to end this is by getting greedy. The first season's finished, perhaps the most endearing moment of the entire first season. Greg Fairchild, who played for the Panthers as an offensive lineman, he was once playing a game in Boston. The fans are all heckling and all this towards him and he turns around to look at them and he goes, I know you guys are booing us and that's cool, but what are you all eating? And one of them shows him that it's a bratwurst and a hot dog. And he says, would you mind getting me one of those? I'm good for the money. This is during a game. Moments later, Fairchild could be seen lounging on the bench, bratwurst and Budweiser in hand. He tipped his glass to the fan like they were in a bar. So that's season one done. Okay. Well, that's been a fun journey. This... Off season, the nine eighty three eighty four 84 off-season is arguably the craziest off-season in any sport ever. And it makes everything that's come before this pale in comparison. Oh, wow. And the prediction that greed could get them in trouble if the owners don't stick together is going to be completely blown <laughs> apart by a new owner who's about to join
1: the league by the name of Donald J. Trump. <laughs> and that's what we'll be back with next week. But just tell me this. The Washington Federals keep the head down and do a good preseason. <laughs> Just <Yep. laughs> All right. Well, I can hardly wait. How many more sleeps before we get into the big offseason? Thank you once again, Titus O'Reilly. If you want to get in touch with us, there's so many ways. Go to our website,
0: sportsbazaar.com. You can contact us there. All the social medias and get kept up to date with what we're doing. And if you can, go on to Apple Podcasts and follow us there, but leave a rating. That has a huge impact on us in the charts and people finding it. So uh, thanks once again for listening and we will see you next week.